All right, so last week we talked about covenant, right? We talked about the covenant of what Jesus did for us and how God worked through the ages from the time of the fall till the, the time of Jesus' resurrection, even till today, is still working in covenant. And we tied that to communion and, and how taking communion is still part of that. The breaking of the bread, the cutting of the covenant we talked about. You guys remember that? Matter of fact, I found in, during the week while I was reading, I shared with Katie, I, I, I missed it in my previous study, but this week I saw when, when God gave the tablets to Moses, it said He cut the stone. And I thought it interesting. He cut the stone for the covenant that was written on the tablets. And I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. There's another instance where God was cutting the covenant. But for us, part of relational covenant is trusting the relationship even when it doesn't look right. Even when we don't understand what's going on. Even when it looks difficult, our part uh, in the covenant or in a covenant relationship is to trust that relationship, right? See, a covenant relationship is a higher level of relationship. It's more than just a friendship. It goes beyond that, doesn't it? It sees past a wrong they may do or a hurt that may come and, and relies and trusts on the heart of the person and the heart of the relationship. See, Katie and I have a covenant relationship, don't we? We made a commitment to one another. And I can tell you the truth when I say I don't always do right by her. I don't always get it right. I make mistakes. But she knows me and she knows my heart is not against her. So she trusts our relationship and she trusts our heart over what my actions are sometimes and over what it looks like sometimes. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So Katie and I have that, that covenant relationship. You know, even, even the, the times where I've acted like an adult and, and done silly things, she has still trusted that relationship. She's stayed with me and trusted that relationship. That's what a covenant relationship does. It trusts even when it doesn't see the fruit. Make sense? You see it in, in, in Scripture as well. Jonathan and David had a covenant relationship to the point where David puts his life in the hands of Jonathan, who was the son of the man that was trying to kill him. But he trusted that relationship even to the point of with his own life, didn't he? Yes. So when we talked last week, and we talked about covenant last week, we talked about God's part toward us. All the work that God put in, all the time that He put in, all the planning that He put in, for His part of the covenant toward us. Okay? But for our part, for our being in a covenant relationship with God, it is like any other covenant relationship. We need to trust that relationship even when we don't see what God's doing. Even when we don't understand what He's doing. Even in the midst of a challenge or a trial, we need to trust the relationship in His heart toward us even when we don't see it. Make sense? When it looks hard, we have to trust our relationship with the Father, even if we don't know what He's doing. So we trust that relationship no matter what it looks like. It means we trust His heart toward us because of the covenant, because of the relationship that we have with Him and the abundance of testimony that we have from Him about His works toward us and His love toward us. And whether you have a right now personal testimony or not, you have a past testimony of what He's done for how many thousands of years? 
from the time of the fall. All of Scripture is a testimony of what God has been working on your behalf and His great love towards you. So we trust Him in His Word. Amen? His provision, we trust His provision even when we don't see it. And we have to remember that His provision is for the vision. Provision, for vision. The provision that He gives us is for the vision that He's planted in us that He wants us to accomplish. And the reality is, folks, if we don't use what He's given us to accomplish the vision that He's given us, we will lose it. You remember the story of the man with the talents? The guys that were given the different accounts and they, they doubled their money, they were praised, but the one that hid it, the one that buried the talent, buried what God had given him to accomplish his purpose, was, was called a wicked servant. And it was taken from him, wasn't it? And the same thing applies when God gives us revelation or any gifting to accomplish our purpose, our goals, the, the things that He's set in front of us. If we don't use it, we will lose it. It'll be given to someone else who will use it for His kingdom. Amen or oh me? So we need to use the things that God has given us trusting His provision, what He's given us for the vision. We have to trust that covenant relationship and believe that what He has given us is enough. We're so busy looking for this aspect of provision or this aspect of provision from the Lord, but sometimes we need to just trust the covenant relationship that He will come through for us because He's enough. Amen? See, the stuff He gives us, our, our giftings, not just the money, but even just the boldness to share a word, all those things is there to carry out what He's told you to do. To carry out your kingdom assignment. It's not just for us to sit on, is it? Right. I want to, if you got your Bibles, let's turn to Numbers 13. And I want to just show you some of this in Scripture and talk about this a little bit. Numbers 13. I'm going to read a lot here, so just stay with me, okay? Numbers 13, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent, from them, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Notice, these are leaders. Okay? Now these were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Reuben Shemuah, the son of Zachar, the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. I know you guys get bored with the names, but just stay with me for a minute. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi, the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amamiel, the son of Gamaliel. From the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nahab, the son of Vashti. Tribe of Gad, Gil, the son of Micah. That's a lot of names. But these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Okay. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. 
See, these are the men that God said, give me, give me men to go spy out the land. They were given assignment from God. And these weren't just anybody in the congregation, but these were leaders, men that should have been able to have the sight to accomplish what God had told them to do. They were leaders of their tribe. Leaders who had just seen God deliver them out of Egypt. Leaders who had seen God do many miraculous and wonderful things on their behalf. But you keep reading uh, where we end off at 18. And see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether they're forest or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Because the time of the season was first grapes. Verse 21. Still with me? So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin and as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and went to the different places. Uh, let's go down. They got some fruit. Go down to verse 25. And it says, And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they had departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb, so you got these ten guys. They're given a bad report saying, look, the land looks good, but the people are strong. They're walking in fear, right? Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all people who we saw in our great stature, our men of great stature, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Ten men said they should not go up. Two men said they should. Right? You see it? Read. Uh, I want to read just a couple more verses. Uh, verse four, chapter 14. All the congregation lit up, lifted up their voices and cried. They got distressed by this thing. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses... Skip down to uh, verse 3 and 4. They wanted to pick leaders and go. Verse 5. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, saying, The land we possess through the land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. 
Joshua and Caleb in this instant counted it as rebellion to not believe the Lord. Because the Lord had already said at the beginning of chapter 13 that He was giving the land to them. There was no if so, maybe so, or might. He said, I am giving the land. So when these ten spies came back and said, we can't do it, and they had that doubt and fear, Caleb and Joshua calls it for what it is. Rebellion. Did you ever realize that doubting God was rebellion? Because why? Because you're calling God a liar. He had already said in Numbers 13, 1 and 2, send men which I am giving to the children of Israel. There was no question about it. So when you begin to doubt what God says and what He said to you, realize that your doubt is calling God a liar. And that's rebellion. Their assignment, these, these guys, these 12 men, their assignment was to spy out the land, to gain information. Basically, it was God saying, hey guys, hey kids, come look at the present that I'm getting ready to give you. You know, like, like parents would call down their children on Christmas morning, hey, come see what I'm about to give you. It wasn't to make a decision as to whether it could happen or not because God had already said that it was going to happen. It was, come see what I'm about to do for you. But these ten men weren't able to see it, were they? They were not able to maintain their kingdom visions. The spies went in for 40 days to spy it out. This was a time of testing for them. A time of proving because for 40 days they were behind enemy lines. For 40 days they had to move off the last word that they had gotten from God, which was, I am giving them the land. Because at that point, they, they didn't hear from God on their own. They had to go through Moses. God spoke through Moses in the tabernacle, right? So here they are, 40 days behind enemy lines, and they have to move off the last word that God had given them. And it was a test to see if they would still see what God saw in the land or if they would see the world. After not hearing from Him for 40 days, it was a test to see if they would believe God or believe the world. It was a test of their vision, wasn't it? It was a test to see if they could maintain on His provision for them His last word in the midst of their challenge, in the midst of being behind enemy lines. See, remember Jesus said, we live not on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth. God gave them a word before leaving that was to be their provision for the entire time behind enemy lines. But they lost sight of it, didn't they? So here they are, 40 days. And, and we know in Scripture, we see it time and again, that 40 is significant in Scripture, isn't it? We see it countless times. We see in Genesis, Genesis 7 where it rained 40 days. You know the story of Noah. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. We see here in Numbers 13 where they spied out the land 40 days. We see in Deuteronomy 9 how Moses was on the mountain for 40 days before he received the tablets of the covenant. We see in 1 Samuel 17 where there was 40 days that Goliath came out and challenged the Israelites. We see in Ezekiel 4-6 where... He had to bear the burden of Israel for 40 days, laying naked on his side for 40 days. Right? 
We see in Jonah 3 that Nineveh was given 40 days to repent. In the New Testament, we see Jesus fasting for 40 days, don't we? And we see Jesus 40 days after the resurrection showing Himself to the people. So we see 40 again and again and again. 40 is a number of a time of consecration or trial. A time of proving or probation. And I don't know if you've ever been through it or not, but sometimes when God's cleaning out your junk, it sure feels like a trial, doesn't it? When He's cleaning up your mess, when He's getting you set apart for His purposes, sometimes it feels like a challenge, doesn't it? And Katie and I often make, make this joke of, I often tell her that I was sent here to help her seed die. In other words, help all that fleshly stuff. You know, Scripture says that unless a seed go into the ground and die, it will not bear much fruit. And sometimes we need people in our life to help be that, that thing that helps the seed to die. I often tell Katie I'm that for her because I aggravate her so much. But it's, it's that time of, of, of testing that we see. When you're being proven, when you're being consecrated and set apart for the Lord, there has to be a proving on your ability to maintain. Right? And so that's what we see sometimes here. And we, it's, what's interesting to me, if you look at the, the multiples, I'm not big into numbers. I don't base my faith on Jamatra or any of that. But it's interesting when you see if four is the number of God's creation, especially where revealed in the earth, and we see that ten is the number of His divine order, Right? His perfection and godly order. It's interesting to think about if 40 is a time of testing, isn't that, doesn't that mean then that it is Him setting His creation, us, into His perfect order, which happens through that testing. Are you with me? Do you see it? Isn't that just interesting? You could say that God is bringing His creation into perfection and divine order through that testing, through that trial. James 1, 2-4 says, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Testing. Knowing that the proving of your faith works patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Being perfect. Does that not sound like God's divine order? That God's divine perfection? That multiple of ten there? So these men tested for 40 days in the land that the Lord was giving them. They were being tested. And God, like any good teacher, gave them the answer before the test was required to be taken. Right? right? We, we all, most of us went to school here. And we know that a good teacher always gave you the answers before. They taught you what, it, what the test was going to be about, right? Yes. No good teacher just throws a, you know, you're not going to take a first grader and give them a calculus test. Right? but they're going to be tested on what they know. And God is the same way. He tests us on what we know. He already gave us the answer. He gave the answer to these men before they went out to be tested. He said, I am giving the land. They already had that answer. All they had to do was remember it. All they had to do was maintain sight of what the Lord had said. All they had to do was keep His vision before them. They really... They really had a 50-50 chance of getting it right, didn't they? Would they see the world or would they have God's vision? Because you can't see both, can you? Well, I was listening to a lady the other night said, um, you can't see both Jesus and your challenge. You can't see both God and your trouble. 
You can't see both God and your problem. And she kept going on about that for a little bit. I thought that was really good, especially since I'd already started this. I was like, ah, it goes, falls right in there. I'm going to use that. But it's true. We can't see both God and our problem. You can only look on one thing. And we have to realize that all of our tests, all of our trials, all our tribulations that we face are really true-false, aren't they? It really is quite simple. God is good, true or false? God is able, true or false? God can, true or false? God is enough, true or false? See, our testing, our trial, our tribulation, all these big words we want to put on it, really comes down to true or false. And we have this test set before us all the time, don't we? We, we? we can turn on the news and that test is right before us. Will we see what the world sees or will we see with God's eyes? What is your vision? Well, how do you see? And the funny thing about tests are when you have the right answer, it's no longer a test but just an assignment, isn't it? Think about it. When you have the answers to a test, it's just something else you got to do. You don't stress it. You don't worry about it. You don't even think about it. You write the answer down and you go on, doesn't it? So you can turn your trial into just another assignment if you remember what the answer is that God already gave you. All right. Maybe I only got excited about that. Amen. Thank you, brother. It's exciting to me. Because He already gave us His answer. Jesus. He gave us the answer of Jesus, right? What was hard and stressful for the ten was just something else they did for Joshua and Caleb. Matter of fact, they were even excited about it. You see their words. He said, let us go up right now and take the land. They didn't want to wait to plan or think about it. They're like, look, God said it. Let's just go do it. Why are we going to stress about it? Why are we going to think about it? Why are we going to, oh my gosh, look at the people. No, they said, let's go. God said it's ours. That's like old John Hobbs used to say, it's mine, I want it. Give it to me. And we get so busy worrying about how the promises of God are going to be fulfilled instead of just walking out the provision that He already gave us. But it comes down to, what are you seeing? Doesn't it? Do you remember the answer that He gave you? So when we're faced with that challenging situation, we must remember what the Lord's Word was in the midst of it. These men forgot. The ten, they got, they got scared and they lost sight of what God had told them, didn't they? They began to see the world instead of Him. And because of that, they never got to take possession of the land. They never got to fulfill or to receive the fulfillment of the promise of His command because they didn't believe Him. When the challenges do come, because they happen, testing comes. Scripture tells us that. And I'm not talking about sickness and disease. We're not going down that garbage road. But... Challenges come. Tests come. Because our faith does need to be proven. Right? When they come, we need to maintain sight of the one who's right in the middle of it. 
We need to maintain sight of the Lord. We need to maintain His vision and seeing Him. We can't wait till we're in the middle of our challenge to try to begin to build our relationship at that point. So many of us believers want to wait till something goes wrong to build the relationship with the Father. If you'll build that covenant relationship before the challenge comes, you'll have something to trust in the middle of your, your test, won't you? So after 40 days, they lost their sight. They lost their vision. They couldn't see what God had said anymore because they, they, they didn't focus on Him and what He was doing. And this is what happens to our life. It happens to me when I lose focus of what God is doing or has done or where He's at then suddenly it begins to look like I'm surrounded by giants. Doesn't it? You had that in your life? You lost sight of what God was doing, and all of a sudden, everything looked like giants. And look at these guys. Read their words again. It says, uh, Numbers 13, 33, And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak of the giants. And we, in our own sight, were like grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. They saw the giants, not the Lord. And because of that, they began to see themselves as grasshoppers. And so they became in the sight of those. Now that really, I mean, that's a whole other sermon about how you view yourself and how that affects the relationships around you. People will see you as the way you see yourself. That's a whole other sermon. But that really speaks to that. How you, if you see yourself as royalty, then so will the people around you. If you see yourself as a grasshopper, well, you see what happens. But we can't see the Lord and the world. We can't keep our eyes onto Him while we're holding on and looking at our problem, can we? See, the challenge for us really is, will we maintain the Word of the Lord in the midst of our, our test? Will we remember what He said? Will we hold on to the last Word He gave us? And will we trust that relationship even when we don't see what He's doing? even if we don't understand. There's a lot of things I do that Katie doesn't understand. She'll tell you, I don't get him all the time. He just does weird things. But she trusts our relationship. We don't always know what Father God's up to. I don't always know. But I trust Him. And I trust my relationship with Him. I know that He has good thoughts toward me. So we need to remember that we live this dual plane existence, don't we? We, we, we don't live just in one place. We live here on earth, but at the same time, we're seated in heavenly places, aren't we? Yeah. So we have this dual plane existence. And uh, Katie and I were talking about this, I think it was yesterday or day before yesterday, but she said it real well. And I'm going to quote her here. But she said, anytime, <laughs> she's making a face, anytime you see a paradox between the world and what Jesus said, or his world and his, his word and his provision, your perspective is off. Anytime you see a paradox between the world and what Jesus has said, your perception is off. It's a perception issue. Trials happen, but we can't allow it to shift our focus. If you focus more on your situation instead of your salvation, your perspective is off. We have this tendency in our life to make our assignments, these tests and trials, instead of making our tests and trials just an assignment, don't we? See, again and again, people in the Scriptures were asked, 
or, or they were told, what do you see? Son of man, what do you see? Come, see what I'm about to do. We, again and again in scriptures, Joshua in, in 6.2, Jehovah said to Joshua, see, I have given this land to you. Joshua was told to see the land, and that's what sustained him. He was told, see what I'm about to do, and that's what gave him the, the ability to walk around for seven days being made fun of, and who knows what else, with no understanding about what was about to happen, only trusting the relationship, the covenant with the Lord. We have to hold on to His promises and His Word, even when we're 40 days into the enemy territory and we hadn't had a word for 40 days. We need to trust that covenant relationship. Problem is, most of us go about 39 days and just give out. That's why Galatians tells us, do not, weary in, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season, we all have due seasons. And I'm not trying to discourage you this morning and say, oh, we're going to go through these trials. No, I'm trying to tell you this morning that you have assignments that God wants to bring you through. And that He's already given you the answer. You just have to walk it out. Yes. And that He is enough. Amen. Yes. Jesus went 40 days in the desert, no food, no water, off of, this is My Son with whom I am well pleased. Joshua and Caleb went 40 days in enemy territory off of, I am giving. Elijah ran 40 days off a little piece of bread that was the Lord's provision for him. Elisha kept the Lord's sight and saw angel armies surrounding him when the enemy was about to take him. Elijah, Elijah saw the rain cloud even before it was formed, didn't he? And Jeremiah, if you read him again and again, he's asked, What do you see? What do you see? We have to see as God sees. So I ask you this morning, what do you see? What do you see in your life? What are you looking at today? Are you looking at a test? Going, oh God, I didn't study. Or are you looking at just another assignment that you have to walk through? What do you see? What is your vision like this morning? Elijah, Jeremiah, Joshua, Caleb, Jesus, Elisha, all of these men saw through kingdom eyes. Do you have this morning a vision to sustain you? That's what we need, isn't it? It's a vision that will sustain us. Because what He has for us, what He provides for us, what He gives us in the midst of the provision... That is, that is for the vision, is enough. We see in the Old Testament again and again, armies would come up against Israel. There would be droughts. There would be this problem, this problem. And God would always say, I'll send rain on the high places. I'll send rain in the valley. I'll fill the, the, the dry beds. What He's really saying that you have this challenge, but My presence is enough. He said, I will send rain. Water always speaks about the presence of God, doesn't it? So they're like, oh God, the Amalekites are coming against us. I'll send rain. How's rain going to help? Because he's saying, I'm sending my presence. And my presence is enough for anything that you face. 
So when I started off talking this morning, I was talking about covenant, wasn't I? And about our part. Our part is that we trust our relationship with Him no matter what the world looks like. No matter what Fox News tells us or any of those other news stations. MSN, NBC, whatever. I don't even watch any of them. We have to maintain our kingdom vision in spite of what's around us. Because if we're not, we're looking at the wrong place of existence. We live in two places at one time. We as believers have the ability to be in two places at one time. You know, everybody says, oh, if I could be two places at one time, you are. You live a dual plane existence. But what are you seeing? What existence are you focusing on? So I felt like the Lord wanted to encourage us this morning that in the midst of whatever might be in front of us, to keep sight of Him. We know there's all kinds of challenges coming up with the government. Every time I turn around, I hear somebody bemoaning what the government's doing. And all i got to say is it doesn't matter to me because I live in kingdom. I'm not subject to this government because I am a subject of the king. Amen? So we can get worried about it, or we can just get happy that Jesus has given us another assignment. Amen? Amen. So, I'll tell you one thing, just this one last thing, and I'm going to just pray and we're going to be done. For me, one of the things that helps me refocus, that helps me, because we, it, is, it does get challenged. I know it gets hard to, to, to maintain that sometimes. I know you get tired. I know it gets hard. I get it. Katie and I have walked through some stuff that's just not been fun. But one of the things that always helps me is to always go back to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And what does it say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When you need a focus shift, go back to the beginning. Go back to that first love and just worship Him. And when you worship Him, when you set your mind on His greatness, when you set your mind on how big God really is, and the covenant that He's made with you and what He has done for you, when you remember that, everything just sort of lines up, doesn't it? Because it brings things back in focus. And so for me, in, in, in my walk and in my life and what I've experienced, that is one of, the, one of the things that has sustained me in the midst of some ugly situations, is being able to go to my King and just say, you know, God, this sucks. I don't get it. But I know you are good and you're worthy of praise. Yes. People laugh at me because they ask, they say, What's, what, what about your faith? What's, what do you believe? What's your doctrine? I say, i got two things I stand on. That God is good and He's worthy of praise. I don't get any more complicated than that. Because when I do that, I start getting out of focus and getting out of whack. And I'm not going to do it. God is good, worthy of praise. If it can't pass through those two filters, I ain't going to mess with it. Amen? Amen? Let's stand.